Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we cover topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Today, we are talking about the emerging technologies and incubation organization and how it is on a mission to revolutionize innovation here at Cisco and to help us drive the conversation we have a phenomenal cast of Cisco champion hosts and a pretty fantastic Cisco expert, if I say so myself. So friends, get comfortable and join us for the next half hour or so. All right, we'll get started with our introductions. Tim, tell us more about yourself, who you are, and what do you do at Cisco? <laughs> Thanks, Amelie. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, who I am, I'm I'm a technical marketing engineer through and through. I've been doing this role. It's my it's my role of calling for I think about 22, 23 years now. I'm a, a principal technical marketing engineer and leading technical marketing for this new organization, uh, Cisco's Emerging Technologies and Incubation. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Very happy to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. We're happy to have you. All right, Jonathan, when you're not podcasting, what do you do? Uh, so I pretend to work. Oh, no, no, better not say that. It's too late. Um, I know. So, this is being recorded. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a senior network engineer at BHP uh, in the mining sector, and uh, I do a lot of standards and governance work at uh, BHP, making sure we have fit-for-purpose networks. Very nice. Ben, same for you. What do you do for work fun? So I'm Senior Network Security Engineer for Red Eye Networks. Um, we work as a consulting company for all sorts of different places. Um, you can find me on the Twitters as NTWRK80 or my blog at packetforwarding.com. Nice plug. All right. Lastly, David, champion by night. And by day, what do you do? By day, uh, I am a contact center consultant, and I do all things contact center, both on-prem and on the cloud, not just Cisco, but as well as other competing technologies, but all things contact center. How dare you? Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of diversify a bit. All right, Tim, I'm going to kick it back to you. Can you give us a little uh, bit of background on today's topic? What are we talking about? Well, we wanted to introduce this new organization, uh, Cisco Emerging Technologies and Incubation. What is its charter? How is it, uh, how is it different from, say, R&D and, and Cisco in the past? Um, how do people, how can people interact with this org and why? And what are the benefits that we, and the objectives we hope to reach? So these are all a lot of the different talking points that I'm looking very much forward to sharing. And so ready to, ready to start whenever the champions are. Excellent. All right. So I think I'll jump straight in. Um, I know uh, prep, uh, during our prep call, uh, you mentioned there was like a venture capital approach to this new organization. And I, I'm just really curious how, that's, how that will work, because when I hear venture capital, I think about large amount of money involved and how they usually invest in like tr uh, tech businesses that can s scale quickly. So how does this approach work for Cisco and what's, how is it different from the tr traditional corporate R&D approach? Yeah, these are great questions. I appreciate that, Jonathan. So yeah, that is a fundamental difference to Cisco ETNI uh, than how we've been doing R&D in the past. And that is, as you nailed it, is to take that venture-based approach. And why this is so important and different is that um, it prevents saying engineering and research in a vacuum. That is to say, 
maybe having an engineer that particularly likes a certain technology and then does a lot of uh, interesting development and puts together a prototype of something really cool. And we've seen this many times in the past where teams have done this. They've come out with some amazing new, you know, pushing the envelope of technology. And then they'll go shopping around to various business units within Cisco and say, hey, look at what we've done. And you sit through like, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour where they show this. And then the final question and the one that leads to silence is, do you have a use for this? And and if we adopt that approach, well, you have some amazing science projects, if you will. But at the end of the day, it does very little to move the needle. And so that's why a venture-based approach has now been adopted. It's it's changing the culture, changing the thinking. If you think about VC, uh, like, uh, like uh, not VCs themselves, but companies that are funded by VCs, it's a whole different energy. It's something that you're like, okay, we want to hit a home run here. We want to do something beyond just the actual technology. We want to see the effect of it. We want to help solve uh, solve people's problems. And, and that's a very rewarding uh, goal to work towards rather than just like, hey, I, I really want to explore this certain technology and I'm not really sure where I'm going to go or what the final result of it is going to be. It's far more targeted and therefore it, it ha- packs a bigger punch. There's a deeper impact from that work. Yeah. You, so like problem solving is probably the one of the big things for me, because, you know, as an engineer, we always have like these crazy ideas and they look fantastic to us because we work in our little silos. But, you know, trying to figure out what that value is and what problem we're actually solving. Is it a problem that we think we have or that the we think the business has or whether there's actually a real quantifiable problem that, you know, is actually out there in the market? That's a really good point. Thank you. No, it's absolutely true. And I think that that's the element of, okay, what goes first, the cart or the horse? And it's like, well, technology uh, usually should follow the business problem and you'd be used to solve it. You know, start with that business problem and then build a solution for it uh, versus the other way around and say, hey, I've built a solution and now I got to try and find a use for it. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right on the nose there with those observations, Jonathan. Couldn't agree more. Hey, so how are, Tim, how are you guys? Oh. Sorry, Tim. Um, is this strictly internal to Cisco, like uh, to sort of um, give a vehicle for innovation, or is it also external? Like you get pitched by, you know, the next Uber for 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 networks, um, and then that there's also an avenue for them to be uh, to you know to raise funds uh, via Cisco. So that's those are all great questions, and I love it, David. So absolutely not only internal to Cisco. So first of all, it is a vehicle to stimulate uh, innovation within Cisco. We have a program within Cisco that's featured uh, almost days on our on our very front employee page. It's called Bold Bets, where everyone in Cisco is invited to submit their next big idea, and it can be any technology field or even a big problem. It doesn't have to be overly technology-centric, but rather, again, like I mentioned, to solve a specific problem, having an idea of how they would go about solving that. Um, and it's just wide open. But it doesn't. it's not limited to just our own ideas uh, coming internally. We also invite our partners and customers and even students. We're partnering with many different organizations to say, look, okay, uh, there's 
so much talent and new thinking out there and ideas, you know, we'd love to fund projects that we we see, you know, business problems emerging on. And so we're inviting all sorts of people to partner with us um, in, in order to do this. And then finally, even even externally, we're looking to to establish relationships. We do things called um, not just we've done acquisitions for many, many years, and we'll continue to do that to gain, you know, um, talent and technology very fast in new and entirely new spaces. But we're also doing things called aqua hires, where we're hiring talent, not just for the sake of the technology, but say, oh, this this entrepreneur, like, for instance, we recently have an aqua hire who was a Forbes, you know, uh, 30 under 30 that, you know, came up with an idea and made it a successful, you know, business. And then that was acquired. And he's like, I'm kind of looking for my next big move. And it's like, okay, he had some really great talent sets and and technology areas. We're like, let's just grab him. We don't know what we're going to build with him yet. It's not for the idea per se, but rather we wanted to hire the talent that is a proven entrepreneurial spirit, as well as the technology, which is a really potent mix. So in, in the past, we've seen Cisco, you know, do a you know slightly different approach where, you know, engineers come up with these brilliant ideas. They give them some money, send them off, you know, found a company somewhere. And then, you know, if it if it flies, then Cisco, you know, spins them back in. How does this new approach um, help Cisco and help help Cisco's customers? Yeah, we've seen that many times, haven't we, Ben? So, first of all, I like the idea that it doesn't, you know, um, segregate or segment and fragment the talent and send them out uh, from the rest of Cisco because uh, there's so many talented individuals in so many different technology areas that it's great to be able to innovate uh, cohesively as, you know, crossing business boundaries uh, wherever it warrants it. And then you get even more inputs and, and value there rather than just saying, okay, you guys go off in isolation. And then that has an effect on culture as well. So I really like this new approach that, okay, we're going to try and fund these ideas and we are funding them, I should say, internally, allow that development to happen. You actually have to come um, and present the ideas as they go through the pipeline to get incrementally more funding, kind of like, you know, a Dragon's Den or a VC-based approach. Basically, you're going before the board, you're saying, hey, this is my idea. Uh, as you go from like an ideation phase where you've come up with the idea in broad strokes, then it's evaluated by a team of reviewers. Then you go to the next phase, which is called market validation, where you're actually going to, you know, build a small prototype of your idea you know, shop it in front of actual, you know, customers, CIOs, CISOs, or wherever, whoever else is the target customers for your ideas, get direct feedback, eight to 10 of these type of things. And then, you know, look at, okay, what are the guidance where they say either, you know, it works and we want you to build this and maybe think about this and that and the other thing, and then scope out that project and get, uh, that's the next stage to get actually more funding for a team of engineers to work on it for a quarter, two quarter, or three quarters, whatever it is, to get it to market to an MVP quickly. And then also at the same time, working with the BE, like a business unit or a business entity, that will then, once you've developed this, be able to leverage all of Cisco's ability to scale, leveraging the sales force, leveraging the channels, the partners, relationships, leveraging our you know, our TAC organization for support and so on and so forth. So this is a general pipeline. So ideation is the first phase, 
market validation, scoping, and then the incubation, and finally the transition to the business entity. Tim, uh, just to touch on the, uh, you mentioned inclusion. So, you know, there's a big drive in uh, many uh, organizations for inclusion and diversity, right? And there's like obviously big benefits for that. For, for me, like people from all different backgrounds have real out of the box kind of novel ideas. Um, how does this approach embrace those benefits? Yeah, you know, that's another great point. And if I may, like just being very candid, like we're all familiar with Cisco for a long time. We've seen we've seen products and, and lines even where there wasn't great inclusion. And then the end result of products is that they're very much for a specific market. Like, for instance, we sometimes would have some products um, and even software and syntax, I'm thinking, that was very much designed by engineers for engineers, you know, and it was just a very, you look at the final um, user interface, if there was one, or you just look at the CLI and you're like, how on earth can anyone possibly understand this? It only makes sense to uh, an engineer or like a mathematician type of person. It's like, okay, well, um, when you broaden your team to become more diverse, then you get, you know, other parts, you know, and other products, and it's been very well proven that are far more intuitive and easy to grasp. And people just get it from the start because of having a very diverse team that's working on that, giving different points of view, different inputs, specifically on usability, but not limited to usability. And so I think that's a very important element. So different um, roles of people on the team, uh, not just engineers, but also think you know design thinking, you know product management, having all good voices towards the collective goals, and then also different cultures, obviously, and different um, perspectives. You know, having a great you know whenever possible, have a mix of you know men and women uh, on the team. You know, have different cultures represented on the team, and then you'll get to a better overall result. And I even see this shifting. It's a real you know, this, you know, direction to be inclusive is so um, permeating so well. It's it's beautiful to see, like even like a week or two ago, I saw an article that even said, you know what, even in our technical jargon as engineers, we want to be aware and be inclusive. For instance, for many years, when it came to say redundant systems, there'd be some verbiage that was very you know, casually applied. And they would say, you know what, this isn't, this isn't good verbiage. For instance, using a term like a master-slave relationship to describe something where one is a controller and one is like, um, you know, just following the orders of the controller. And it's like, you know what, there's other ways that we can express that. We can say, you know, leader, follower, active standby, or something like that. And we can avoid language, even at the engineering level, that never even makes it to a product manual or what have you. And it still shows this consciousness of being inclusive. And then, you know, going by the principle of how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, if you're inclusive, even in the parts that maybe never make it to the light of day, then you're going to be far more likely to be inclusive in the other things that you do and vice versa. If you're sloppy and if you're not you know, if you're not expanding your cultural consciousness in the small things because you think nobody cares or nobody sees, you're going to slip up also when you're in the spotlight. Tim, I'm definitely going to steal that line. That was awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, by all means, you know, uh, flattery, what is it? Imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. You know, when people sometimes reach out and they go, 
you know, can we have your decks or your this or your that or your payment? And I'm like, absolutely, because then I know that it's, uh, it's it's something, you know, that you found to be a value. Happy to share. So by all means, Jonathan, go for it. So, Tim, what is your personal background and what's your like professional journey? What got you here today? Oh, that's yeah, excellent. Uh, let's go down memory lane. So, yeah, I, I think I've been with Cisco. I think this is my 23rd year uh, with Cisco. I came to Cisco right out of school. So I was green as green can be. And so it was a very funny first week that I had because coming to Cisco, I you know came from um, Canada. I'm, I live in uh, Vancouver. I went to the University of British Columbia and graduated well, you know, high at the class. And I thought, oh, I really got, you know, I really know a lot, you know. And then I came to Cisco and about the end of my first week, by the Friday, I had the epiphany and realization that I knew nothing. And that was a really important point to reach and to be able to reach as quickly. Uh, I, I realized in retrospect that was value, very valuable to get there as quickly as I did, because then the real learning started. You know, like we are so far ahead of anything that's going to be taught, especially in academic institutions. We're so far ahead of even general technology adoption that you have to be prepared for a lifetime of learning and to constantly recognize that whatever you do learn and however you much you invest in your learning, it's got like, you know, um, you know, this idea of a radioactive half-life, you know, it's going to decay quickly. And so you have to be aware of that, uh, accept that, and then recognize then the need to always then push your boundaries of what your um, expertise is in and your technology and 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 beyond that so just always be learning dang tim you, you're dropping truth bombs here <laughs> yeah uh tim i've got probably a bit more of a philosophical question for you oh sure um, sure and like i have my own view on this yeah. uh but does society drive technology or does technology drive society and for me like this can be a bit bananas because like you know some technologies do fail and some and some technologies you know, like they're kind of kept quiet and then they just come out in the woodwork. Right. So I just want to get your view on this. No, I love I love this question. This is this is, as you say, it's a great philosophical question. And my wife's actually the philosopher in the, the family. She had double majored in English and philosophy. So she can she can out argue me on any point as well as use words that I'm completely unfamiliar with while she does it. So I'll do my best to answer your uh, philosophical question, uh, Jonathan. So does society drive technology or does technology drive society? The answer is both. But if I had to choose which one is dominant, I would choose that society drives technology because predominantly necessity is the mother of invention. If you have a painful problem, that's what drives you to think about it and to find a solution and then improve and do something better. Whereas on the other hand, there are some times when we discover things, we have epiphanies, or maybe we're trying to find a solution in one particular area and it takes us and it presents a technology option and something we haven't even thought of. And then that has an effect in turn on society. I'll give two examples. One is the Internet in general. You know, this was originally a communication platform to prevent, you know, to make sure that communications was available, even in the event of nuclear war. You know, and that was the goal of it. But wow, has that ever changed that technology? Has that ever changed our society? Because it's transformed in so many ways into everything that these days we could hardly even think of being completely unplugged even for a day. 
you know, that's one example of, you know, the, the reverse use case where you had a technology that morphed and changed and had a massive event on society. Another example, maybe a more risque example, is um, there was a U.S. pharmaceutical company that was pursuing some work in um, hypertension drugs, that is to lower blood pressure. And then they, they produced a little blue pill that they uh, let out to early field trials and then the, the people there experienced some very interesting side effects. And that uh, little blue pill became their runaway hit and became the drug that we now know as Viagra. So that has had also its impact in society. And while I, um, I, I know that we're playing a game to try and work in the word banana, I'm going to try and avoid its use in this particular context. But uh, it just seems that, um, you know, I'm really trying hard to steer clear of that. But the point is, is that, yeah, there are times when technology discoveries, accidental or otherwise, or pivots, has definitely had their impact in society as well. So it goes both ways. It's chicken and the egg. But if I had to lean towards one versus the other, I'd lean to society drives technology, Jonathan. I agree. I mean, look at this. I'm, we're here. I'm on the other side of the world talking to all of you, uh, lovely people. And it's like being right beside you. Nice. We love that too. So, Tim, with, you know, you were talking about how, how the different innovations, you know, change things over the years. And, you know, Cisco has, you know, we've talked to the innovation centers before um, uh, with the Cisco champions. How, how are they integrated with this new um, enterprise of yours? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, the Cisco Innovation Labs are part of uh, ETNI, Emerging Technologies and Incubation. And so I think that's a great fit because then as we're de developing different new solutions that are, you know, maybe slightly ahead of where the market is or the latest and greatest, we're really trying to establish and showcase thought leadership. So being able to present and demonstrate some of these solutions in our Cisco Innovation Labs, those uh, com you know companies or customers can come in and say, "Oh, what's the Cisco thinking about next?" You know, you see a few demos of a few you know state of the art you know bleeding edge technologies, and then and then more importantly, you know, having whiteboards in the room that says, oh, "Okay, well, what kind of problems are you?" Uh, what do you see in your particular business? And let's draw it out on the board. And what kind of you know what would you like to see solved? And then getting those kind of conversation started is very conducive in that setting where you actually have some demonstrations that say, whoa, I never thought of that. And, and you become open and more creative. So the Cisco Innovation Labs are a very important part of this new organization, uh, both for sharing you know, what we're building and doing, but then also gathering that more input and creative juice from the customers in these type of discussions on what we should be building next. Hey Tim, Tim, in as you know, as you see a parade of ideas come uh, before you, what is the one thing that you're most proud of as like saying, yes, this is definitely excellent? And then the reverse of that is like, what have you seen that like, oh my gosh, that's um, <laughs> perhaps not the best idea ever. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, well, I'm actually, you know, not just uh, you know leading technical marketing, but uh, also a reviewer of the bold bets. But I've got uh, I've got a couple ideas in the pipeline. One of my um, one of my the ideas that I submitted along with uh, Dave Zacks, you guys know Dave Zacks and Ted Hulick, is this idea of 
transaction security. That is to be able to secure transactions within an application without touching code whatsoever. So we see, for instance, any given trans, any given application, not everything that you do in an app is equally sensitive or confidential or important or valuable, etc. Some things that you might do within an app are more so than others. Like I'll give an example. Think of like a payroll app. Everybody's familiar with a payroll app. You log into a payroll app. Okay, so you get authenticated, you're in. Now you have keys to the kingdom within that app. You can do whatever you want, but some parts of that app might be relatively benign, like FAQs. Hey, when's the next pay, you know, your payroll calendar? When are you next going to get paid and tax information and stuff like that? That's pretty benign stuff. There could be some moderately confidential information like your information, your social insurance number, your um, your latest pay stubs, you know, so it's it's sensitive to you, but it's not like if it got out, it's a trade secret that uh, is being lost to the company. But then also there could be additionally more highly sensitive transactions within that app, like um, editing your banking information where your next paycheck is going to be. And so if a user chose to do that, you'd really want to make sure that that is the user and, and not somebody that perhaps has left their screen unattended or somebody whose account got hacked and somebody else has got in and now is changing that banking information. So the ability to do this type of identification of sensitive transactions and then doing step-up authentication for a sensitive transaction within an app and doing it all without adding code or requiring application re-engineering, that's the real trick. And we're basically leveraging App Dynamics agent technology to do this. That, that idea is uh, one of 230, actually there's three ideas uh, in the last uh, batch out of 236 ideas that made it to scoping phase, and that's one of them. So that's the one I'm most proud of. I, I'm very particularly proud of that. Um, the one that I, I thought was a little bit humorous and comical, there was an idea submitted that says, okay, why don't we use facial recognition within your device that um, you know identifies the user of the device and then also compares it in the context of a dating app that says, if you're going to post now a photo um, up to you know the dating app website to share with other people, it's going to actually check to see does that actually look like the user or does that actually look like the user recently? And then if not, it will prevent you from posting that up there. And it's like, oh yeah, that's got some merit, some value. I think that that would be a more trustworthy um, you know, website to go to if you're, if you're dating. And then um, you're not going to get these pictures of like Brad Pitt, like, people only to, you know, meet them in a restaurant and then find them to uh, look uh, significantly or substantially different than that. Yeah, it sounds like one of those D, 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 D um, what was it, dialing under the influence or texting <laughs> under the influence kind of uh, applications. But uh, yeah, I do actually have a follow up question around the actual innovation space, right? So if you take a look from the next like five to 10 years, and you think of like IoT trends, digital twins, AR cloud, advanced computer vision, deep neural nets and language processing. If you had to t pick two in your in your own mind, uh, one for enterprise and one for industrial comms or uh, manufacturing areas, um, what do you think the next exciting trends for tech? Yeah. Tech I, industry. I love your questions. Really well thought out, Jonathan. So, okay, two key uh, trends and in two key areas, enterprise and IoT. So 
enterprise. I spent 20 odd years in enterprise, so I love enterprise. The the one big trend that I I really see emerging and that we're constantly getting uh, um, customers asking us for more help with is observability. And observability from the context of top down. So for instance, as network engineers, we love like say the DNA type of um, trace uh, path traces where you see you know um, an endpoint and it's talking to a port and then it's talking to another switch on this port, uh, this link and that link and you know um, goes all through the network. We see all that and that's a great network centric view. However, the view that we're getting for customers is saying, I'm looking at it from the top down, that is from the application's perspective, and then I want to see what's going on. So we've done some early work on this with the App Dynamics Thousand Eyes integration, but imagine if you could see even deeper than that to say, don't just tell me that my network in general is slow or experiencing issue and then try and loosely correlate. I want to see this specific flow for this specific um, application transaction or even this specific microservice call how did it flow through say the cloud native architecture uh, and then how did it flow across the network where exactly did it go and where did it get held up and you know you know help me to root cause for that specific um, you know experience and then looking at it from like I say that top down rather than a bottom-up network centric root view where we're like oh okay I happen to know where the network attachment point is and this and that no no you're looking at it from the applications perspective and then the network um, to complement that and expand on it observability so for EN the second part of your question though for IOT what's the next big trend in my opinion digital twins uh, digital twinning everything. It's a, it's a proven method for improving performance and in IoT and manufacturing. If you can just improve the performance of something by say 1%, you're talking millions of dollars of gain in these environments. And if you can accurately um, simulate something and represent something and learn something from that representation that then can be used to improve your process, to improve your efficiency, to improve your safety, uh, which is the top of mind concern in these type of environments, uh, then you're going to have really, really big payoffs. And so these models will become increasingly accurate. So many more things will be uh, represented in a digital twin. And then that learning will lead to improvements in all of these um, manufacturing areas that's my pricks <laughs> there's so many but there's those, so many but well, that's excellent restricted me too so <laughs> yeah it's okay thank you very much for that tim i probably have one last question then just to follow up on like so i'm jonathan a lonely engineer in perth australia right so i'm probably a bit more isolated than most but if i want to get involved in this uh new initiative and like submit ideas how do i go about doing that uh perth is a great place that's where actually uh one of the that my my heroes in technical marketing is right now Carl Solder, who is a distinguished technical marketing engineer, went on to be a VP lead of uh, technical marketing for enterprise networking. That's where he's from, and that's where he is back now. And he's looking after his parents. Just fantastic guy. So um, Perth is a great place. But to your point, how does everyone uh, get involved? Absolutely. So there's so many ways to get involved. Um, if you're a Cisco employee, again, we mentioned the bold bets. So anyone and everyone is welcome to submit ideas to the bold bets. We are then also opening up bold bets to our partners. And so we get we want to create, uh, you know, that 
input of ideas and pipelines uh, from our partner organizations as well. For customers, there's multiple ways we can get in, involved. We mentioned the Cisco Innovation Labs. You know, they, these are geographically dispersed along the roads, uh, along the globe. So you're welcome to come in to your nearest one, see what's cooking, see what's baking, share. Then you know what are the big uh, problem points that you're working on, and these are the ones we really want to go after. Uh, I had a colleague of mine really describe them well. It's like we hear maybe the the phrase quite often, the kind of problems that keep customers up at night. Well, he goes, that doesn't quite capture it. The, the real problem points we want to go after um, are the problems that, if solved, lead to someone getting promoted, or if they remain unsolved, they lead to someone getting fired. You know, And then it becomes a lot more dramatic as to the kind of investment and attention that are on these type of problems. And that's the kind of input that we want to keep getting um, from working with our customers. So Cisco Innovation Labs for customers. We also have a part a program called Design Partners to say, look, if you have, um, you know, we're, we're sharing the things that we're working on uh, with our customers uh, and we want to partner with people. And this wouldn't be a traditional customer vendor relationship, but rather what we call a design partner relationship to say, look, you know, we're working on a solution in this area. And then the customer says, yeah, that's the one that I, I wanted you to work on, or I have that pain point. Well, then let's share you uh, with you the earliest prototypes. And as we mature it and build it towards a minimum viable product, you can give us a feedback. So you let us know if we're hitting the mark or missing the mark, or maybe we need to scale better, or maybe there's a gap in functionality or usability, whatever the case may be, you will help you know, make it better. And then ultimately, we're going to work together to create a mutually beneficial solution. We'll create the solution for, you know, that meets this customer's needs, but then also would, you know, in all likelihood, if we've done our market re uh, validation research properly, we'll meet the needs of many customers, either in that vertical or even spanning verticals. And then also, so that's, that's for um, internal employees, partners, customers. And then finally, as we mentioned, even if you're you know, uh, wanting to, you know, work with, with Cisco where we're doing aqua hire programs. Also, if you're a university student, um, you know, we, we sponsor many different research institutions and we want to, yeah, and we're expanding in this too. So there's so many different ways to get involved and get plugged in. You can do a, you can do a search on uh, emerging technologies and incubation at Cisco. You'll, you'll see a lot of that information there. Uh, I also did a session on introducing Cisco ETNI at the latest uh, Cisco Live. It was virtual, to be sure, but still, you know, and I have a lot of the details and links where you can go to to get involved as well. Fantastic. Well, what a fun topic. This has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. No surprise. Thank you so much for listening in today, and a special thank you to our guest. And our Cisco champions for being a part of today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's topic, we'll provide the links in the description below. Uh, and just a reminder, you could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.